Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Satan is still exceedingly appealing, and he is also exceedingly crafty. And because of that, he is exceedingly dangerous. If you're a Christian, understand this. Satan hasn't given up on you yet. He still has an X on your back. He has marked you for destruction. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. Whether you realize it or not, Satan is waging a spiritual war against every single Christian. And if we aren't wise to his tactics, we can easily fall prey to his attacks. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress uncovers Satan's threefold plan to destroy God and his people. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. Today, I'm presenting a relevant series called The Divine Defense. You know, none of us escape spiritual warfare. And until we discover how to wear the spiritual armor God has provided, we'll become stuck in an endless cycle of sin and defeat. Gratefully, God has provided a completely sufficient means for our protection, and that's our topic in this exciting series. Plus, to help you in your daily battles, I've prepared an exclusive brochure for you. It's called Equipped for Battle, and this pamphlet contains seven strategies from Ephesians 6, providing biblical instruction on how to defend your life against spiritual attack. To receive a copy, all you have to do is go to ptv.org and request the brochure titled Equipped for Battle. Now, at the end of today's program, I'll also describe the best-selling book I've written on this topic. My book is titled The Divine Defense, and it includes thought-provoking questions that will spark lively and meaningful conversation with your friends. My book comes with my thanks for your generous gift to Pathway to Victory. I'll say more about these resources later, but right now, let's get started with today's study. I've titled today's message, War of the Worlds. If you grew up in church, probably as a child, you learned the old hymn, This Is My Father's World. Remember that hymn? But theologically, that hymn is true. This world really does belong to God. But sometimes that's hard to believe, isn't it? When you look around at the terrorist attacks, the wars, the natural disasters that attack this planet, and when you look at the attacks in your own life, your own world, it's really hard to believe God is still in control. Perhaps C.S. Lewis had a better description of this world, at least for right now, when he said, enemy-occupied territory, that's what this world is. How did this world come about like it is today? How was it transformed from the Garden of Eden into a war zone? We began talking about that last time in our series on spiritual warfare. We saw it all begin with a conflict in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) Many years ago when God's chief of staff, Satan, instigated a rebellion against his creator. And last time we talked about the origin of Satan. Remember from Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, we can piece together a short bio of Satan. 
first of all, we saw that Satan was a created being. He's not omnipotent. He's not God's evil twin. He is a created being with limited but very real powers. And secondly, we saw that Satan, originally Lucifer, held an impressive office in God's kingdom. Third, we saw that Lucifer possessed incomparable wisdom and beauty and splendor. He was a very appealing creature. But finally, we saw in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 that upon a day came this thought in Satan's heart, a thought that he wanted something different than what God wanted for him. And because of his rebellion against God, remember God cast Lucifer out of heaven. By some accounts, a third of the angels followed with him in his rebellion. But Satan hasn't given up. Satan is right now trying to build a rival, a shadow kingdom that will one day overtake the kingdom of God. And this battle between God and Satan is being played out right now in history in three very distinct rounds. And we're going to look at those three rounds of Satan's battle against God in today's message, The War of the Worlds. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Round 1 of this fight... I'm calling deception. Deception. And we find it described in Genesis chapter 1. When Satan and his angels crash landed on planet earth, perhaps they got here just in time to see God's crowning act of creation. We find it in verse 26 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man, now underline this, in his own image, then underline it again, in the image of God, he created man, male and female, he created them. And then verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, I want you to note that phrase, God created man in the image of God. Now, think about that from Satan's point of view. If you hated God as much as Satan did, the only thing worse than having to look at one God would be having to look at a multitude of little gods, or at least people that resembled their maker, God. And so Satan saw this first couple, Adam and Eve, who who resembled God the Father, and he was filled with hatred. But that hatred gave way to a sinister thought. What if I could transform these newly created servants of God? What if I could deceive them into becoming my servants instead? What if I could take God's greatest creation and turn it into God's greatest mistake? And so he began this plan of deception, uh, built upon the lie that we need something better than what God offers us. And so Adam and Eve were deceived into believing that life apart from God is possible and preferable. They said exactly what Lucifer had said in his heart many eons earlier, I want something different in my life than what God wants for me. What was the result of Adam and Eve's rebellion? Not only did it affect the first couple, it affected every human being since their time. It affects you and it affects me today. How is that? How does what Adam and Eve did uh, eons ago affect us today? Turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Here is the consequence of Adam's initial rebellion against God. 
Paul writes, therefore, just as through one man, now that's a reference to Adam, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. Now, Paul has said a mouthful in this simple verse. Have you inherited the sin virus? The Bible says all of us who are born into this world are born with a sin virus. You know how you know you've been infected with the virus? Here's the first symptom that you've been infected with the sin virus. You die one day. Death is the symptom of sin. The reason we die, the reason we face separation from God is not because we sin in the present tense. It's because way back there in some inexplicable way when Adam sinned, God counted Adam's sin against us. The whole race sinned. What was the result of this first sin that was committed? You know, God could have turned his back on creation. He could have said, well, if that's the way mankind wants to operate, fine. I will abandon them to suffer the consequences of their sin. But that is not what's happened. The Bible says when God looked down on the plight of that first couple who had been deceived into sin... The Bible says something was stirred within the heart of God. And that stirring was a stirring of compassion. Instead of feeling hatred for the race that had rebelled against him, God was moved with love and compassion. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Listen to how Paul describes it. He says, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. Let me ask you this morning, why did God save you? Why did he save me? I've heard people try to answer that by saying, well, the reason God saved us was God was lonely in heaven And he needed somebody to have fellowship with, and so that's why he chose to save us. Is that what the text says? Other people say, no, the reason God saved us was when he looks at us, he sees something worth saving. He sees some good thing in us that merits his salvation. Is that what the text says? No, the truth is, the Bible says even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God, for no other reason but because of the great love with which he loved us, He sent Christ to die for us. Your salvation had absolutely nothing to do with you. Nothing. It has everything to do with the goodness, the compassion, the mercy of God. By grace, we have been saved. That is the gospel message. And so when God saw our predicament, he saw our lostness, not just of the first couple, but everybody who would be born after that first couple, God instigated a plan to save us. And that leads to round two of this eternal battle between God and Satan. I've entitled round two, Deliverance. God instigated a deliverance plan to save us. You know, for thousands of years, God had been sending a message to humanity, in spite of your sin, I still care for you. He had been sending miracles and messages through the prophets. But then 2,000 years ago, he did the unthinkable. In an elaborate scheme that had been formed before the foundation of the world, God decided to visit planet Earth. Jesus Christ left the comfort and security of heaven. 
He gave up his rights as God and he came to this war-torn planet. Why would God plan for the torture, the excruciating death of his own son? Because it was the only way to save us. Jesus came to rescue the troops. That's why he came. Look at Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14. For God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. Underline that. The forgiveness of our sins. The reason Jesus came to experience death was so that we could be redeemed. We could be transferred from Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of God. When Jesus came to earth, he paid the ultimate price for our redemption. He has taken us out of Satan's slavery. We have been redeemed out of the slave market of sin and death. Why did Christ redeem us? Not to set us free to live however we want to live, to be our own masters. No, the reason he redeemed us is so that we could start serving him instead of serving Satan. If you're a Christian, you're not free to live however you want to live. You're not free to do whatever you want to do. Because Christ paid the ultimate price for you, you have an obligation to him. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know you are not your own? You have been redeemed with a price. The reasons Jesus came was not simply to reassure us, he came to rescue us. Now, Satan knew all about that rescue plan. He knew what God was up to, and so he did everything he could to stop that plan of deliverance. Remember when Joseph found out that Mary was with child? He was tempted to divorce her for adultery. And had he done so, not only would Mary have been stoned to death, but the child within her, the Messiah, would have been killed. But when that didn't work, what did Satan do? Well, Satan tried to inspire Herod to kill every Hebrew male two years of age and under, hoping to kill the Messiah. When that didn't work, uh, Satan tempted the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, trying to entice him into sin so that he would no longer be the spotless Lamb of God that could take away the sins of the world. When that didn't work, he moved in the hearts of the elders and the religious leaders to prematurely kill Jesus before his appointed time so that he couldn't fulfill the prophecies that would qualify him as the Messiah. But on that good Friday, when Jesus hung on the cross and said, It is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full. And three days later, when God raised him from the dead, Satan's vice grip on this creation was forever broken. And Easter Sunday became D-Day for every Christian. Aren't you grateful for that? That's what God did for us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul does when he describes what God has done for us in Colossians 2 verse 15. He says, for when God has disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. Easter Sunday, in a very real sense of the word, is D-Day, Deliverance Day for every true child of God. But let me ask you, On that Easter Sunday morning, at the empty tomb, did Satan wave the white flag of surrender? (laughs) He said, I give up, God. You can have it. I failed. I belong to you. No, there was no surrender at that time. There's still one final round in, in Satan's attack against planet Earth. And I've entitled that Desperation. Desperation. Read today's headlines. Look at the struggles of your family members and your friends. 
Look at the crises that you face every day in your own life. And it's hard to believe Satan's been defeated, isn't it? Remember that book uh, Hal Lindsey wrote a number of years ago, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth? Well, that title's really only partially true. It's true that Satan is alive, and it's true he's on planet Earth, but he's really not all that well, okay? The truth is, he suffered a mortal wound at the cross of Jesus Christ. And the date of his execution, that's already been placed on God's calendar. In fact, we get a sneak preview of that final execution in Revelation 20, verse 10. Remember, we looked at that chapter a few months ago. Listen to his final execution. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Stay with me on this. Satan was disarmed where? At the cross. He is going to be ultimately judged Uh, At the end of the millennium, when Christ returns and after that final rebellion. But right now, you and I are living in that middle time in history. That time between Satan's initial disarming and his final destruction. And for those of us living in that in-between time, we are both witnesses to and also the victims of Satan's final attack against the kingdom of God. What is it that Satan's trying to do right now out of desperation? Remember the plan? He's trying to build that rival kingdom that will one day defeat the kingdom of God. And so he's trying to marshal as many human beings as he can to join with him in that final rebellion against God. What is his ultimate strategy in that rebellion? Write down two things. First of all, His first uh, attack is to blind unbelievers to God's offer of salvation. That is, Satan wants to prevent those people who are part of his kingdom right now. And by the way, the people who are part of his kingdom right now are not just Satan worshipers, okay? It's that work associate who sits across from you every morning. It's that person who goes to maybe a good church, but has never personally trusted in Christ as Savior. It's that child or grandchild you look at every morning across the breakfast table. Anyone who is not personally trusted in Christ as Savior, whether they realize it or not, they're a part of Satan's kingdom. He has control of their life. And most importantly, he has control of their eternal future. We have to be involved in God's rescue plan to help rescue them out of the kingdom of darkness so that they might become a part of God's kingdom of light. But know this, Satan is going to do everything he can to hold on to those people who are already a part of his kingdom. And so how does he do that? Remember the passage we read, jot it down, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 4. We read it a few moments ago. Paul said, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But there's a second prong in this two-pronged attack against the world, and that is persuading believers that we are still under Satan's control. He knows he can't have our soul eternally, but he wants to do everything he can to convince us that we are still under his control. 
Even though God has redeemed us, he has purchased our freedom. We're servants of God and not of Satan. Satan makes us think we're still under his control. And he does it in a very crafty way. He says, well, you know, Christian, yeah, you're saved, you're going to heaven, but you still have this sin nature inside of you. And as long as you have that sin nature inside of you, you can never have victory this side of heaven. You have to obey that evil nature. You have to give in to that anger and to that lust and to that greed. You'll never be free from it until you get to heaven one day. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a lie out of the pit of hell, okay? Sin has no more control over your life if you're a Christian than you choose to allow it to have. The same power that reached down and raised Jesus up from the dead, that same power of the Holy Spirit is in your life right now, giving you the power to say no to sin and yes to God. But Satan doesn't want you to discover that truth. He wants you to think, Christian, you're still under his control. Why does he want that? Because he wants to rob and destroy everything valuable in your life. If Satan can't have your soul for eternity, listen to what he wants to do. He wants to rob you of the joy that comes from being in a right relationship with God. He wants to rob you of the benefits that accrue to you in this life from following God. He wants to rob you of the influence that you have in expanding the kingdom of God. He wants to rob you of the eternal rewards that can be yours for obedience to God. Jesus got it right about Satan when he said in John 10.10, Satan is nothing but a thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. You may wonder, well, how is it that Satan exerts so much power if he suffered that mortal wound at the cross? How does he exert so much control over unbelievers as well as Christians? Remember what I said last week? When Satan was thrown out of heaven, he surrendered his position in heaven, but he surrendered none of his attributes. He was created with wisdom, splendor, and beauty. He still has splendor, beauty, and wisdom. What that means is Satan is still exceedingly appealing. And he is also exceedingly crafty. And because of that, he is exceedingly dangerous. If you're a Christian, understand this. Satan hasn't given up on you yet. He still has an X on your back. He has marked you for destruction. He has a personalized plan to destroy your faith, your family, and your future. And next time, we're going to unroll Satan's blueprint for your destruction. Christians are well known by the enemy of this world. Satan has placed an X on our backs, and we're in the crosshairs of his weapons. For that reason, I'm urging you to make a serious study of Ephesians 6. The unprepared Christian is the constantly defeated Christian. And let me offer a couple of suggestions for taking your next steps. First, we're prepared to send you a copy of my best-selling book that parallels this current series. It's called The Divine Defense. This eye-opening book exposes Satan's blueprint for your destruction. And it also provides practical advice on how you can win your unseen battles and live victoriously by the power of Jesus Christ. As an added bonus, we'll also send you a copy of Equipped for Battle, a highly practical fold-out brochure featuring seven biblical keys to spiritual success. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request your copy of my book, The Divine Defense, along with the Equipped for Battle brochure. 
as we conclude this message about fighting back against the enemy. I'm reminded of the many individuals who support the ministry of Pathway to Victory with the help of tremendous friends like you. We're leading people to Jesus, shining His light into a dark and difficult culture, and equipping believers to become obedient, productive, victorious disciples of Christ. You are touching real lives with the transforming hope that comes from God's Word. Thank you for giving generously and faithfully. David. Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you The Divine Defense. It's Dr. Jeffers' best-selling book on spiritual warfare. As an added bonus, we'll also include the exclusive Equipped for Battle brochure. To request these resources, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll also send you the complete Divine Defense CD and teaching set. To request the Divine Defense CD and DVD set, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You're always welcome to contact us by mail. Just write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Have you ever felt like every person and circumstance in your life was working against you? That's exactly how Satan wants you to feel. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress reveals two of Satan's strategies to destroy you. That's Wednesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sights for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel, April 25th through May 5th, 2023. To learn more and to reserve your spot, go to ptv.org.